beginning in verse 22. It reads, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This morning, I would like to tag our text and our focus, a joy that lingers, a joy that lingers. So how was Christmas? How was your Christmas? It was a pretty good Christmas. That's probably been the number one question most of us have been asked all week. Just this morning, you've probably already had at least three people come up to you and ask you, how was your Christmas, right? Many of us, including myself, probably said we had a good Christmas. But I can also imagine many of us, like myself, a little relieved and praying that the Lord recover that checking and that savings, amen? amen. Right? Yet, even with all this damage, I wouldn't want it any other way. You see, in Christmas, we learn and grow to appreciate its season in all the ways it reminds us that everything we have is not our own. If the Father could give his own Son, can we and should we not also give and express our gratitude by sharing all his gifts with each other? But in every Christmas, there's the Grinch which me and my kids have been watching all week, even this morning. They still putting it on, so Christmas ain't stopping my house. <laughs> you see, if we're not mindful and intentional about remembering the joy of the Son of God celebrated during Christmas, it won't be long into 2024 where you forget it. In fact, I finished up a book not too long ago that said, it takes being exposed to something at least five times before that thing is moved from our short-term memory into our long-term memory. And if my math is math, and as they would say, it is fifth Sunday, amen? So this morning, I want us to linger a little bit. This morning, let us linger and consider one more time the reason for this joy and all the joy therein. For throughout Advent, leading up to Christmas and celebration of the birth of Jesus coming into the world, we've been walking through a sermon series called 
a weary world rejoices. Throughout this series, we've observed and praised the coming of Christ into the world full of his humanity, his humility, and his joy. All, and excuse me, and although our 2023 Christmas has already come and has gone, the final hours we have left in 2023, for this morning and into the night, I want us to take one last look at joy. As we return to our text within the Gospel of John, the disciple of Jesus, let us hear from him and walk through three lessons on joy. The first lesson of which I found to be rather personal and fitting to name will be my joy. Our first point, my joy. Let us look again at verse 25. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. You see, in verse 25, I love how the translators are so kind and so cute about describing what was going on between John's, and disi- John's disciples and the Jew over baptism, a discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Now, we all know what happens when you get more than two or three people in the same room to defend their different views on baptism. Mm-mm-mm. It's on. Ding, ding, ding. It's like that now. And it was like that even all the way back then, at the time of John the Baptist himself. Brothers sparring it out over whose baptism is right. But as we read in our passage, it wasn't just the doctrine of baptism that John's disciples were defending and holding on to, but also their joy. Listen to what they tell John the Baptist at the end of verse 26. All are going to him. You see, it was also the fact that the nickels, the business, and the noses, and the people, and the influence were taking off and leaving John the Baptist and his disciples, and it caused for their joy to panic. They lost their sense of joy. All while John and his disciples were busy going back and forth, wasting time with each other, fighting over what is the right baptism. Jesus and his disciples were getting busy and caught up baptizing. But if I can be honest, the joy of John's disciples is much like my own. It is weak. A brother of mine wrote a book in which he titles one of the chapters, Dangerous Jesus. I have it here with me. For anybody who would love to read it going into 2024, it's yours. Just come up to me, whoever's first come, first serve. Uh, You can have it. And in this book, my favorite chapter is chapter 9. Chapter 9 is called Dangerous Joy. Listen to the way he describes joy. Joy in this life will be perpetually elusive. Fragmented and incomplete. 
Do you hear him? Do you hear your joy in that? It's dependence often, it's elusiveness, and constantly chasing its own success. See, I was debating if it was right for me to open up the secret places of my heart this morning and share with you the 10 ways that I wrote down the ways I would describe my joy. So this morning, I give you my heart. Listen to the 10 ways that I describe my joy. My joy is dependent on success. My joy is full of envy. My joy is weak. My joy is unpredictable. My joy comes and it goes. My joy hides from me. My joy at times has to be reasoned and told to be happy. My joy wants and is never satisfied. My joy is depressed. My joy is incomplete. Right alongside your list of 2024 goals and dreams and resolutions, I want to encourage you to consider taking a moment to do the same and write down somewhere on a piece of paper in your journal, it doesn't matter, the 10 ways that you would describe your own joy. And I know it may sound painful, but the disciple, excuse me, but the disciple of John who wrote the passage in which we're reading this morning also wrote in a letter to us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We must be honest about our sin. By confessing our sin, we also invite the Lord's forgiveness and cleansing of our sin. And thank God that my joy, the joy of John's disciples, and our joy isn't the only joy that we cross paths with in our passage this morning. The next joy we shall observe is the joy of John the Baptist himself, not the disciple, but John the Baptist, Jesus' big cousin. It is his joy that prepares the way for our heart to know a joy that is true. Listen, beginning in verse 27, our second lesson in joy and our second point, his joy. Verses 27 through 30. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I struggle figuring out just what exactly to call this lesson from John. I almost called it John's joy, but then I thought that yeah, that's a little too confusing. There's John's all over the place in this passage. So then I almost called it the Baptist joy to identify which John that we're talking about. But realize we're Presbyterian and that couldn't work. Amen. So I landed. I landed rather simply on calling it his joy. His joy being John the Baptist's joy. All right. 
And his joy is easily explained. The word of God couldn't be more clear. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Mm. I must decrease. It hurt, don't it? For the world and the ways of this world has conditioned our minds and our hearts to think of decrease as death. In the world, you will never hear the way to joy is to decrease. Never. In fact, my wife, I love her dearly, she has a set of about seven movies that she will watch over and over and over and over again. Doesn't matter the, the month or the season. And one of these movies is called The Best Man, which I don't recommend. I love you, baby, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> and for all the many reasons I could give to why I wouldn't recommend this movie, at the top of the list would be the main characters, Harper Stewart, played by Tay Diggs, if you're familiar, and his failure to fulfill his call as the best man. All throughout the movie, Harper is portrayed as unloyal, manipulative, and deceptive, and literally rejecting to have faith in a relationship with God. Harper, from start to finish, is out for seeking his own increase in honor at a time at which he was called to give honor to his best friend, the groom. Often and only the most unnatural thing for our pride and our sinful hearts to do is to pursue decrease. Yet John the Baptist walked down that strange and unfamiliar road out in the wilderness named Decrease. And on that road, he met a joy like any other in this world, declaring to his disciples and to the world, therefore, this joy of mine is complete. Mm, oh, saints of God, do you hear? Do you hear of this joy? The sound of peace, the sound of satisfaction, the sound of freedom, the sound of joy. For months, I was planning to preach this morning from a passage out of Exodus. But when I heard John's voice in verse 29, I had to call the audible. I had to just... Do, do away with the, the game plan, the playbook, draw up what the Lord was saying to me and to us this morning. So what, what, what was it? What is it? How can it be that John the Baptist's joy was complete? You see, he knew the way was to seek the increase of the groom, his cousin, Jesus' honor and his glory and his success and for him to be faithful at his decrease. His joy was a joy centered not on himself and acquisition of merely his wants and his desires and his selfish ambitions, but his joy was set on the joy of the groom and his increase in his honor. Reading just after, his most famous, one of his most famous bars in, in all of the New Testament, in verse 31, he describes 
the way to joy. He comes from above. He who comes from above is above all. He who, who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. You see, John the Baptist had a feeling of joy that was based on the truth. John the Baptist knew that the way to his joy was not up, but was down. It was in this heart and devotion to the honor and the glory of the groom, Jesus, that John the Baptist, his cousin, was even ID'd by Jesus himself as, of all those born a woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew all that all who belong to the earth only speak in an earthly way about joy, and that without and in, 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 in their articulation of joy, there was no real vision. There was no real definition or directions to the way of a joy that is true and abundant in life. So this morning, as we sit at the intersection between 2023 and 2024, I want us to reflect on two questions in light of John the Baptist's joy. First, may we ask ourselves, what decisions am I making in my life right now due to a lack of joy? And secondly, how can I redirect my joy going into 2024 so that it is too complete and set on the Lord's increase? One of those pivots in my own life have to do with my children. Even though they're only one in three, barely talking, mainly whining, whining and, 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 and all of that jazz, Going into 2024, I'm asking the Lord to help me, give me the strength to be patient and more intentional about raising them up in the Lord and his increase. And that road toward his increase for me and for them is just simply to teach them their ABCs, ABCs right now. That's all it is. So if y'all could pray for us, please. And lastly, let us hear from John, now the disciple on his final lesson on joy as it relates to another father's joy. Our third and final point, the father's joy. The father's joy. A father's joy for his children is a formidable force. Even as I was preparing the sermon this week, I had to fight on a number of occasions the temptation to stop my preparation, step away, so that I could just play with my children and all their Christmas toys. For their toys had become my toys. Their joy had become my joy. The joyous gift of being with my children. Mm. Even that joy can be elusive and unavailable. In every waking moment and season of my life, that isn't guaranteed. Like all fathers and the joy that we share with our children, this joy is met in existing in a world that is fallen and bleeding out with a propensity to afflict our joy with pain, with disappointment, and with sorrow. Because of sin, death, and the venom of our opposition, Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy even our joys, 
We must seek to define and align our joy from that which is above, looking and pointing to heaven and not here below. For it is in heaven and from heaven that every good and perfect gift is given to us living on the earth. For it is from our Father who art in heaven that we come to know and to have a joy that is perfect and eternal. Right here in our text, John makes clear to us what remains at the center of our Father's joy. Listen closely to verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Have you ever wondered what lives within the heart of God? What is it that makes the Father smile? What is it that he loves? For the Father's joy, his heart, and his love is for his Son. The Father's joy is not a feeling but a person. Pastor Ben, a couple of weeks ago, said it perfectly. Joy doesn't come up from our heart, but it comes down, bringing with it salvation. Joy is a person. But we also, we all heard it, right? In verse 36, the wrath of God remains on them. You see, the father's joy in his heart shall not be denied. To deny the father's joy, his son, is to deny eternity and the joy that lasts forever. The father's joy, his son, is the only one that is able to walk through those valleys of pain and groaning, through suffering, through our depression, our sin, and every silence, and all the whispers of shame, the accuser, Satan, who strives to declare that we are unworthy, unable to taste joy in his life, can endure. Yet the Father's Son, he has done it. He has overcome our sin and our sorrow. He has made known to us that the devil in his world is a liar. Saints and children of the living God, Jesus has made a way for us. We can have joy. For John the disciple, not the Baptist, but John who authored this gospel, purposely articulates, originally in the Greek language in which he wrote, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Not will have eternal life, but has eternal life. Throughout many of John's letters, he continually captures and writes in a way that has been defined as many as a realized eschatology. His realized eschatology can be defined as his way of realizing that although our eternal life with Christ is something to be anticipated to come in the future, it is also a life through Christ that we can possess right now, this very day, and experience as a realized experience of joy in eternity. And this is where we may ask our faith and our hope and our joy. When it is tested, can this be? How can we ever in this broken world truly have eternal life and no eternal joy? The Father's joy and His Son has shown us the way. You see, Jesus is not willfully ignorant about the pain and the sorrow and the hurt in his life and in our life. 
The prophet Isaiah leaves no doubt that Jesus' understanding is very clear of what it feels like to be at the bottom. Isaiah said, Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Yet we also know that Jesus, even in the darkest night of his soul, as he cried and was dripping with those drops of blood, possessed joy. Hebrews 12, 12 leaves no doubt. There we are told, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus is the son of God and the groom to the people of God, his bride, endured the cross in joy. Because through the, co- through the cross and the father's plan to save the world, he would receive his glory and his joy. You see, every groom's joy is centered on his bride. Plain and simple. For the son's joy is always and still at this very moment remains with his bride, with us, his people. Jesus cares about our joy, brothers and sisters. So much so that not only would he die on the cross in our place, but he would raise himself from the dead. And by his resurrection declare and offer us eternal life and eternal joy with him in his kingdom. His kingdom is already here. And at the same time, it is coming. We now only wait on our king. We await for his return as king of his kingdom to the earth with all of heaven, making all things new. That is why all who put their faith and hope in Christ can hold a perspective in this world that is utterly real about its pain, while also remaining utterly real and perseverant in its joy. For King David captures perfectly Such a reality of a heart set on the Father's joy, his Son, our King. So as we close, listen to his prayer before our Father. Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Only in the Father's joy, in his Son, seated at his right hand, do we come to have and to behold joy. A joy that will never leave us nor forsake us, but ours to have and to behold. A joy that lingers now and forever. Let us pray. Father, would you forgive me, Lord, of my joy and of our hearts wanting glory, wanting to steal away what is rightly only for your son, your joy, our groom. Lord, we need help. We need your strength to decrease and seek his increase. Oh Lord, please show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I want to invite us all to sing as we sing our last song in worship. And I also like to invite up our prayer team. And for any of those, any and everyone needing prayer, you are welcome to join 
um, our prayer team and his members either up here at the front or if there's some at the back as well uh, to pray with you. You may have come this morning with a burden and a need of the Lord to give you strength. Uh, prayer is open for you. You may have heard from something in the word that you want to change in your life going into the new year. Prayer is here for you. And then lastly, you want eternal life and eternal joy in the Father's joy by trusting and believing in his Son, our Lord and our Savior. He invites you. Come.